everyone. Welcome to the first full episode of the Passion and Purpose podcast, hosted by myself, Louis Giglio. I am so excited to be launching this podcast and so thrilled to be able to bring some of these conversations to you. And I'm really, really pumped about this conversation today. I recently had the honor of sitting down with a father and even a grandfather of the faith, Dr. Charles Stanley. Now, it's someone who's deeply impacted my spiritual development, along with that of countless other people across the globe. And in this episode, we talk about his time at First Baptist Church Atlanta. That's where our paths cross. We talk about what it means to be called to ministry, how to endure, and how to continue to walk in godliness as a church leader, a pastor, and a proclaimer of the gospel. It's such an honor for me to have him on the very first Passion and Purpose podcast. So here's my conversation with Dr. Charles Stanley. I have the incredible privilege, and I do count it a privilege, Dr. Stanley, to be with you today. So thanks for coming and being on the podcast. And I was thinking as we are starting this conversation that you are currently on TV right now somewhere in the world. You are currently on the radio somewhere in the world, a lot of places in the world right now. Your voice is heard globally, daily, and it has been for as long as I can remember since the beginning of In Touch. And yet here we are having a conversation together, and God's using you while we're sitting here to proclaim His Word to people. So I just want to say thank you. I'll say that again at the end, but I have so much respect for you. I've known you since I was a middle schooler, and I've uh, we've been on vacation together where you were pulling the trailer behind the family car down to right. Florida to St. Augustine and setting up in the RV park, and I've watched you go in down to your dark room in the basement and starting to develop your own film before there was anything called digital cameras. And I've seen you at home and I've seen you in the pulpit and I've seen you in the normal day and I've seen you leading in extraordinarily challenging moments. And I just have so much respect for you. And a lot of people do. And I'm just saying thank you on behalf of a whole lot of us on planet Earth for being that true voice to God's Word. You have a statement that sums up, in a way, your whole ministry. Trust God and leave the results to Him. So when did that become sort of a heartbeat? Because I can't remember a time when that wasn't your boilerplate message. Well, the first time it came to me was after I had been to see my grandfather. I was just finishing high school, and... um, for some reason, I felt like, I want to go see my granddad. I'd only seen him three times. And he was in his 70s, late 70s. And um, I just wanted to hear him talk because I'd read his little book. And um, so we spent a week, you most of the time, sitting on his screened-in back porch and me just asking him questions. He was just full of answers. So... When the week was over and I left and I was riding back home on an old trailway bus, remember those old buses, and I kept thinking about what did my grandfather say to me because he gave me lots of illustrations of things that had happened in his life. And when I was riding along, it came to me, what he said to me was, obey God, 
leave all the consequences to him. So I thought, well, you can't beat that. <laughs> and so I, uh, that just became something inside of me that governed my life, just obey God, leave all the consequences to him. And so I thought, well, at this point in my life, I'll find out if it's true. And it is. And it is. You've seen him prove <laughs> that over time. I remember the early days when you came to First Baptist Atlanta. I think I was maybe 12 years old when you and the family arrived in Atlanta. And it wasn't necessarily the smoothest few years as you became the pastor of First Baptist. And in fact, sometimes it got so contentious in the business meetings that you wouldn't even let your kids be in there. So I'd have to run kind of a counterpoint, and I'd be up in the balcony, and I'd jet back down to your study and tell them what just happened, and then I'd go back up and come back down. But God brought you through that. God set you up, and a lot of people were against that, but God was for it. And it was I remember watching from the very first day that you became the senior pastor, the church had split, some people had left. Uh, we had this big packed auditorium, and all of a sudden now it was like a tribe of maybe three or 400 people. And I can't believe that I got to sit on the front row of that moment where you obeyed God and left the consequences to Him. And then He started building a church, and that church just absolutely changed the world. So what do you recall about that step where, okay, we've kind of come through the storm but now God has put me in motion. What's the next thing I'm going to do? Well, I look back, of course, and see how that was all God's doings because I came from a little church in Bartow, Florida. Nobody knew who I was. And um, I knew that he carried me there because he gave me this vision one night that I'll never forget that he was going to move me. And... Um, so I knew God had put me there, and I knew that what my grandfather said to me, I had to, I had to live it out. Obey God, leave all the consequences to him. And the night they voted uh, on me to vote me out, I'm sitting over in this dark corner of the auditorium, and nobody knew I was there. And I just kept reading the Scripture and, and remembering what my granddad said, obey God no matter what you're hearing. And they were fussing and fighting over not having me as the pastor and so forth. And then when they voted, I won by, I think it's like 61 to something, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and then I just stepped out and walked up, and they didn't know I was there. And um, I just thanked them for voting for me, and uh, that was it. And then, of course, we had about three more months of fighting going on. To the guy, and you know, God has strange ways of accomplishing as well, because we had to put up with them. You know, they wouldn't come to church, and they'd do this and that and so forth. And then we had a business meeting, and this fellow thought he was doing the right thing. I guess he socked me in the jaw right in the pulpit. I saw it well with my own eyes. I could not <laughs> believe what was happening. Well, you know what? Obey God, leave all the consequences. I mean, you don't like the consequences sometimes, but uh, that was the end. When he did that, that finished him off. They were gone, and I've watched what happened over the years. And at, at that time, of course, we were on one black and white station in Atlanta, 
And from that point on, God's put it around the world. I can't take any credit for it because all of that was just part of his way. You would think, well, it looked like they would have just voted and been nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the way it was. But I look back and think, God, you've been in all of this. I, I didn't do any of this. This was your doings. And then I've watched him just make clear decisions to me about things that I just had to go back and say, okay, I'm going to be obedient. Here's what you said. I'm going to leave it to you. And he's never disappointed me. You know, when I was uh, in my maybe around 30, I was living in Texas and I was just getting my start uh, preaching. I would preach at youth events and anywhere they'd have me, honestly. And I've told this story a lot, Dr. Stanley, but one one of those events, there was a conversation afterwards with some of the leaders, and someone asked me, what did I see myself doing in 10 years from that day? And before I could answer, another guy answered, and so, well, I'll tell you what he's not going to be doing in 10 years from now. And I was like, oh, okay, well, why don't you all talk about what God's <laughs> going to do with my life? And he said, he's not going to be a local church pastor. And then he went on to explain why the way I preach and the way I lead wouldn't work for a local church. People don't want to hear that every Sunday. And in the back of my mind, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, you know, after watching the way they treated Dr. Stanley, I don't know if I want to be a local church pastor. Right. And it really did make a mark on me as a, because around that time I, you know, was in high school and I just thought if that's what pastoring is about, I don't know if I want to do that. But you endured through that and you actually were able to lead through a really explosive age in the faith. The 70s and the 80s were a beautiful time of renewed evangelism. Right. There were big revival meetings happening around the city of Atlanta and around the nation. And then we started buying up every corner of Peachtree Street. I mean, for a moment, Fourth uh, and Fifth Street, it was everybody else was going out of business, and First Baptist Church was very much in business. And so what do you think the message is for somebody struggling right now in their situation, but they can't quite see all the way to the other side like you can now? Well, I would say, first of all, the most important activity in your life is your prayer life. Mm. And it can't be centered on what I need today, but Lord, what is your will for my life? Mm. In other words, I know he's not going to always show us a long ways ahead of time because because he knows we probably couldn't handle it if we could, if we saw ahead of time, but I'm just I'm, Lord, I'm I'm going to trust you for today. Whatever you have in mind, I'm going to trust you for today. And He knows when we need a little help, and when we need for His entrance into our life in a special way. For example, I remember uh, one week I'd been preaching. And um, the next week I was thinking about what I was going to be preaching. And so I'd been trying to study and somehow I had no sermon. Wednesday came and no sermon. Usually by Thursday I have my outline pretty early. Going. Most pastors listening right now are nodding along. They've, they've been in this spot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so Friday came, no sermon. Saturday morning came, no sermon. I'm thinking, God, what are you up to? I mean, what's, I've been studying all week, and when I, when I start trying to outline, nothing. Saturday afternoon, nothing. Saturday night, I'd been studying from since about 6 o'clock. And finally, out of desperation, 
I reminded the Lord tomorrow Sunday, <laughs> I don't have anything to say. What's this all about? And I was struggling till about 11 o'clock or thereabouts. And the only other time that it happened was uh, when we were going to have the business meeting to vote on me. And the Sunday before that, I had no sermon. And I'm sitting there and the choir is singing. And I'm thinking, God, well, I, they, they're going to prove to me that I'm totally inadequate today. I have no sermon. And so when the choir finished, I walked up to the pulpit, opened up my Bible, and it fell to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I just started, and it was like a machine gun. I, I couldn't I stop. It was, it's all God. People started getting up and walking out because they were getting under conviction, I guess. But anyway, I remember that, and then here's this time. I'm thinking, Lord, now, now, now what's, what is this all about? You've got to be sort of frantic to be a pastor facing a congregation and say, I don't have anything to say. And so... When I was at my most desperate peak, it's like the Lord said to me, you must never ask for any money on television or radio. You must trust me, and I'll decide how far and wide this ministry goes. Wow. So I remember thinking, God, well, if it never gets out of Atlanta, okay, but you know, I didn't get out here to pray about this anyway. So I said, okay perfect peace. This is the truth. I couldn't write the outline fast enough. God was giving me what to say. So obey God, leave all the consequences to him. I think I can say I've at least attempted to live by that in every way that I know possible. And I would say it to anybody, you can never go wrong Yeah. when you're committed to being obedient to God. You won't understand it. You may hurt, you may suffer, whatever it might be. But if you leave the consequences to who? To holy God, almighty, sovereign God. Can he handle it? Yes, he can. You have been a good preparer of messages, so I think you're good to have had a couple of times when you walked up there without <laughs> knowing what you're going to oh. say. That happens. To, I, I, I think I can remember at least maybe twice in my life that it's like, okay, this is going to be good because I'm walking up right now and I don't know what the first word's going to be. But You have to be a pastor to know that feeling, you? do. You? But that, I just want to say again, um, that's not your go-to you were very prepared, and I remember a lot of times in high school, you know, Andy and I both sensed God stirring our hearts when we were in high school and even before, and we knew there was something special about what we were seeing on your life, and I think we were sensing there was maybe something on our lives, not anything close to what was on yours, but just a stirring. But we were still... Uh, we made less than great decisions all the time <laughs> in that season. So I would like to, on the record, apologize for the 2 a.m. Uh, coming in on Saturday night when you were in prayer trying to get your sermon all tidied up, and yet you're waiting for these knuckleheads to come home late because we got, who knows, our car towed somewhere or whatever happened. But I remember a lot of those weekends, you would come home from work on a Friday. This is the way I remember it. You change clothes out of your work clothes. You grab a legal pad, your Bible, and a jug of water. 
you guys had the water delivered to your house, uh, one of those little water makers where you could put your cup under. And you take a big jug, like fill it up, a gallon jug of that water, the water, my legal pad, my Bible, and off you'd go. You get in the car, you drive away, and you wouldn't come back till about dinner time the next day. Where'd you go? <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> and why was that such an important part of your development and leadership? Because I knew that if I wanted to listen to God, I had to give him time to sort of push all the stuff of that week out of my mind, out of my heart, and things that I thought or whatever it might be. And I just need to be quiet and listen to him. And you have to you have to practice that to make it work. Because sometimes, you know, I'm down praying, I'm thinking about something that hasn't got anything to do with the sermon. And, you know, of course, the devil would intervene in in, in any possible way. But if somebody asked me, well, what's the key to everything? I would say your personal quiet time with God is essential to everything that happens in your life, Mm -hmm. as a pastor especially. And so, you know, he's going to test us. And he'll test you with the telephone and with this interruption and that interruption and this and this all, and he and she and they and whatever. You just have to make a decision. And I'm sure that people said, well, he's not interested in me. He's doing something. Well, you can't be interested in what God wants and do everything everybody else wants you to do. So people will be unhappy. They have to be unhappy because ultimately they'll get happy when trouble hits and the first thing they do, oh, they want to call you because they know you'll talk to God for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being a pastor is not is not easy. And it's probably more difficult today than ever. You would know that. <laughs> it's been an interesting year to be a pastor for sure. I think a lot of the pastors I've talked to this year feel like the way they would sum up the past year was, I lost it was impossible to win at anything. It's possible to get anything right, no matter what you tried, whatever said, whatever you attempted. Um, there was a good number of people who liked it and a fair number of people who didn't like it and a lot of people who weren't sure in between. But, you know, that's part of leadership also. Right. Leading is rising above. And I think that's what a lot of pastors have leaned on God to help them do this year, to rise above. We have to be able to get above the noise, above the negativity, above the fray, hear from God, and speak hope to people. And you're doing that every day, bringing that message of hope. And I want to take you back to where it all started. So take us back to the moment that you got saved and called, and you knew, I'm saved, A, and I am called by God to do what you've been doing now all these years of your life? Well, I was 12 years of age, and um, I went to a Pentecostal holiness church. The pastor was very old. He, he probably wasn't as old as I look back and think he was. <laughs> he and, was old, uh, like probably 60 or something. Yeah. Not like and so, in but I always 80s. sat on the second row right on the end. I don't know why, but uh, that's where I sat. And... Um, I couldn't ever remember anything he said. I had a wonderful Sunday school teacher. His name was Craig Stowe. And I remember one thing he said. He was in the Navy. And um, 
was probably the first thing that really hit me that God's real. Because he was on a ship. They were getting ready to be attacked by the Japanese. And um, the commander was asking for a volunteer to go up in uh, the perch, is what I call it, to spot what was happening. And nobody volunteered. And he said that God told him, I can take just as good a care of you up there as I can down here. And he volunteered. And they were under a great attack. He was not hit. He was. He came out perfectly fine. And I thought, all of a sudden, I thought, God's real. And I, I, that's the only thing I got out of it. And then uh, this lady came to preach a revival. Well, in those days, Pentecostal, you know, a little woman could preach good as a man. So she preached all week. And on a Sunday, she gave the invitation. And I went, I stepped out and went to the altar. I was 12. And before I knew it, five of my Sunday school friends had surrounded me. Wow. And they were praying for me to get saved. You know, in those days, you had to work at being <laughs> saved in their minds. But anyway, I surrendered to the Lord that day as 12. Then I was in high school. And my friend and I, Raymond Barber, was sitting on the ball field one day, and I wanted to tell him something so badly, but I, but I was sort of embarrassed. But I asked him, I said, Raymond, what are you going to do when you grow up? That's why we looked at it. He said, I don't know. What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Later on, both of us told each other, we both knew that God had called us to preach. He ended up in the Fundamental Baptist. He ended up going to going to seminary in Fort Worth at the same time I did. I didn't even know he was there. He ended up being president of that convention, as I did, mine. And um, I just see how God worked all those events. And, you know, you, you just have to follow him when you don't know what to do next. And I'd say that, you know, you don't know what to do. The best thing for you is to get on your knees and say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm willing to do. Then it's when you find out whether you're really willing to do it or not. Yeah. I always say that if you can do something else besides being a pastor or preaching, you should go do that. But if you get to the point in life that you cannot do anything else but preach the gospel, then you should do that. Even when you're scared, even when you don't know how, even when you think, what would I say? <laughs> I remember, obviously, very well when God called me to preach. I didn't see it coming. I was a uh, freshman in college, and it was a very powerful moment. And back in the day, you would go down the aisle at the end of the Sunday night service normally and tell the pastor, I feel like God's calling me to preach. Right. So I went down the aisle and took your hand and whispered to you, Dr. Stanley, I think God's calling me to preach. And you said, okay, I will talk to you for a few minutes afterwards. And so you may not remember this, but you said, I want you to read a book. And you gave me a little copy of So Send I You by Oswald Chambers. Right. And you said, read this book and study this passage and come back and talk to me in two Sundays. So you wanted me to ruminate on it a little bit and to really give it some thought. I did go back to that phrase, here am I, 
send me. And when Isaiah said that, he didn't know what he was signing up for. He just knew he'd seen a vision. He'd seen grace. And if God had something going on, he wanted to be a part of it. Right. And so I remember coming back after two Sundays and saying, I'm sure this is what God wants me to do. And you had the church pray for me that night because that's the way things work. Things worked a little faster at church back in the day. (laughs) He said, this is... Uh, I went by Butch at the time. This is Butch Giglio. You all know him. He grew up in our church, and he is surrendering his life to the ministry tonight, and we are going to pray for him, and you prayed for me. And that that moment, I went back to that book a few uh, months ago, got it off my shelf, opened it, looked at all the highlighted places in it, and remembered that day. But talk about how simple that is just to say, I've seen enough because we want blueprints, we want diagrams, we want explanations, but God isn't in the business of giving blueprints. He's in the business of giving a vision and then saying, do you want to go with me? And if so, come on. Well, you know, it's amazing how God takes little things to say so much to us. And it just so happens I finished reading a chapter before I walked in here about Oswald Chambers. Mm -hmm. Because he had an awesome effect upon my life, and of course he died very early in life of appendicitis. He was in the army in Egypt. And um, when I first started reading that book, I thought, what's all this about? And uh, chapter after chapter after chapter, I began for God to help me to understand what the will of God was really all about. And I was in college. I never heard of Oswald Chambers. And he's always been uppermost in my thinking. And it just so happened this morning I finished that chapter that I was reading about Oswald Chambers. And I think, Lord, when I think about the influence of this man who died of appendicitis, which wouldn't have been a problem today, who died in an army camp in Egypt and who died at a very, very early age, and the influence and the impact of his life. And I'm still, I'm still profiting from that. Lord, just whenever we go, we, we want to go leaving something behind that's, that's immeasurable and inescapable and unforgettable. Yeah. When you were preaching uh, in the old days, you preached three times a week. You preached Sunday morning a couple times. Then you'd come back on Sunday night and preach a completely different sermon message. And on Wednesday night, you would have a Bible study and teach a different message. And you taught me and Andy, or taught me, Andy is a little bit of a shorter preacher than you and I are. But I I took your tradition and I tried to carry it on. I I like to, you know, say as much as I can and as long as I can. (laughs) Right, right. But you would preach these messages, and this is the way they would all start. Take out your Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 8. That was your opening. No opening stories, no illustration, no setup. Just if you have your Bibles today, turn to Second Chronicles chapter whatever. Today, I'm going to speak on fortitude, how to remain faithful in your faith. And I have, and then this is what I always would wait for. I have 14 points today. And they all begin with P. And I mean, you know, I'm taking notes. And you still remember too, don't you? Uh, yes, I'm taking notes on the back of the offering envelope. So I learned to write in micro print. I still can write in very tiny print because of that. 
I'm asking you, do you remember how many was the most points we ever had <laughs> in one of the sermons? I think 17 might be the winner. It might be. Do you remember some of those? Well, it just depends on what I was talking about. <laughs> and they all, thing, they all you, start you, you with T. You haven't forgotten it. They all start with <laughs> R. And it just was so simple, so clear, so convicting and commanding. And there was so much authority on it. And I'm just wondering, in your opinion, how do you think preaching has changed over the last 40, 50 years since I've been in ministry? And do you think, or do you think it has changed? And do you think some of it's been good, or do you think some of it's been not so helpful? Well, I think it has changed. And I think it has, from what I can tell, become less biblical. More stories, more this, more that. And um, I'm not being critical of anybody, but I'm saying I think it's become less powerful Mm. because of our approach. And I think a lot of people are trying to appeal to people because of their age or this or that or whatever it might be, instead of sticking to the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's It's not technique, and it's not all the things we surround it with. Because if you recall when you were growing up, the choir had their song, and we sort of did the same thing. Oh, it was different every week. But week after week after week after week, you've got to stick with the Word of God because you think the people who are there this Sunday won't be there next Sunday, or at least half of them will, some of them won't. And so I think from what I can tell, I see less biblical preaching, less quoting the Word of God, and less explanations from all sorts and looking and seeing what who is doing this and who's got the biggest congregation. That's not the issue. Jesus spoke to one. He spoke to multitudes. And my feeling is I give it the best God will lay it upon my heart if there are 10 people sitting out there or 10,000. And I think uh, that's, that's the thing that troubles me. It's a lot of words and a, and a lot. Of, and I've, I've even said to some people very close to me, you know what? Where is, where is the Word of God? Mm-hmm. What did Jesus say? In other words, you, you, can, you can try to appeal to the world, but, but where is the world going? The world needs to hear the Word of God to pull them back into a right relationship with Him. So I see, I see a weakness that's beginning to take its toll. I remember about those days that even though we sang hymns and there was a choir and an orchestra, it was still powerful. And I remember coming to preach for you. I think it was around one of your anniversaries or your birthday a few years ago. And my mom was a, you know, she loved singing in the choir at First Baptist Church about as much as anything on planet Earth. I can still see her. Yeah. And um, I remember walking in that Sunday and when the choir and the orchestra started playing, I just lost it. I just was so emotional because it hits a, you know, it strikes a tenor somewhere deep down in my soul right? that takes me back to uh, once I stopped being a knucklehead and I started sitting up in the balcony by myself on the end of a row because I didn't want anybody around me. I didn't want anybody, you know, fooling around. I wanted to hear the word. I wanted to be attuned to God. And it didn't really matter. I learned in that day, it doesn't matter whether you sing a song that was written this week or a song that was written 250 years ago, it can still be powerful. Right. 
And then we would have some of those Sunday nights where we would sing a chorus at the end. It was blessed be the tie that binds. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place or maybe one other one. And if uh, we had, you know, like Pentecostal revival breakout, we joined hands across the aisle. (laughs) But it was still powerful. And I knew from that moment, I didn't understand it, but I knew it. If you preach the word and invite people into God's presence in worship, not into music, but into his presence and worship, whatever you're doing will grow. Amen. Wherever it is, whoever it is. And so I started a Bible study with my wife, Shelly, at Baylor uh, when I was in grad school there. Grew to 1,500 students. We didn't have snacks, food, skits. It was just worship in the Word. Came to Atlanta, started 722 Bible study. Same thing. No skits, snacks, games, just worship in the Word. And three, 4,000 single adults would be there. Started Passion Conference, worship in the Word. And I still believe in that formula. It's simple, but it works everywhere because the word does not return void. Amen. Well, you've been a perfect example of that. And when you look around today, what what are people doing trying to attract people? And it's not the word. It's when I look at it, I think, Lord, whatever happened to the simple, pure gospel? And just as I am does not go out of style. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood's cleanse me. In other words, it's just a simple word. And I think we're going through a, a, a period that's dangerous for the church. It's almost become theatrical. And a lot of people think it has to be part theatrical in order to gain people. But even if it, I mean, even if there were fewer and fewer people, the issue is, are they hearing the Word of God? Hmm. And if persecution comes to this country, and I won't get into that, but if it does, little by little, it's going to be more and more important to hear the Word of God and not all the things that we think attract people. Absolutely. I want you to talk a little bit about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So you got your start in a Pentecostal church, and yet you were a Southern Baptist preacher up until just recently. You were the pastor of First Baptist Church Atlanta for my entire lifetime, just about. You were the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. You were, you were There's no bigger leader in the Southern Baptist story than you. And Southern Baptists haven't been known necessarily as a Holy Spirit people, just generally speaking. That's a big, broad, brush straight statement, but I think people would understand what I mean by that. But yet you have a very special relationship with the Holy Spirit, and it's evident um, in your ministry, but it's more evident when I'm around you personally. And we had a chance to pray together a few, maybe two years ago, you had me come up for lunch at your office, and we prayed at the end, and I just could sense that closeness that you have with God and that closeness that you have with the Holy Spirit. And so talk to us not just about how important biblical preaching is, but how important is it to have that intimacy with God and that intimacy with the Spirit? You know, the first church I had was up in the mountains of North Carolina, and they invited me to preach to a big associational meeting of all the pastors. And I preached on being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Well, this elderly, well, he was elderly to me <laughs> then. Pastor came up to me and he said, young man, if I'd have preached that sermon years a few years ago, they'd have thrown me out of this convention because their idea of the Holy Spirit, they categorized it as something that Pentecostals preached. But I knew in my heart that the Holy Spirit was a person. I, I knew in my heart that according to the Scripture, if I was ever going to be able to do anything, he had to be the heart, soul, and core of whatever I was doing. And so I remember uh, graduating from seminary, coming to this church, and then I had the privilege of being an instructor or whatever it might you might call him in this Bible institute with all pastors. There were 100, about 150 some. They'd all been pastors pretty good while, and I'm just green out of seminary and thinking, God, then are they going to listen to me? And they gave me evangelism, homiletics, preaching, and something something about religions at four courses. I had to teach. And I remember being on the floor in my very small study in our house at Fruitland. On the, on the, this was a Friday afternoon, and school started on, on Monday. And they, they, nobody had ever seen me before. They didn't know me from Adam except that I was pastor of Fruitland Baptist Church, which is right next door. And that's when the Holy Spirit became absolutely real to me because I had to say, God, first of all, I'm just out of seminary, strike one. Number two, I'm pastor of this small church, strike two. And, and, and Lord, here I am coming to a group of guys who've been pastors for years, strike three. Why should they listen to me? And I mean, I remember, I remember the rug I was, I was praying on and asking God, Lord, you're going to have to do this. I cannot do this. I may have some information, but what are they going to think and how are they going to feel and why should they listen to me? So, but I walked in on that first, it was on Monday, Tuesday morning. I felt like God was all over the place. I just started. And in about a week's time, they loved me. Yeah, and I knew it wouldn't be, it had to be God. But all my fears were gone. And I just saw myself as a servant and said, Lord, I, I may not. I may not be able to preach nearly as good as these guys who've been preaching a long time, but I'm going to do it the best I can with the Holy Spirit. I'm trusting the Spirit of God to work in me. I had a wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah, there's a print. There's a little arc that's developing through your stories. Um, I had an opportunity. I didn't think I was ready for it. I got down on my knees on the floor, and I cried out to God, and I said, you're going to have to help me. I need you to help me. I got up off the floor and I went to the to the moment and I said, here I go. And I just started. Well, and it. then God took over <laughs> right. and did something that you knew was not you because you had been down on the floor knowing that you weren't ready. But now you're seeing I am ready because God is making me ready and doing this. And it's beautiful to see you tell that story over and over and over 
in your life of how many different moments you were in. And I have a feeling you're still in those moments today where you're saying, God, I don't know about today and I don't know about this situation or that situation, but I'm going to trust you and surrender to you. And then you just get there. And even like today, we just started. And then here you are just opening up such wisdom and doing it in such a way that is, I know, touching people so powerfully. I want to ask you about something, uh, your other passion. I think you have, I might have several passions, but I think two primary passions, preaching and the other one is photography. And you have been about it as long as I've known you. I don't think I understood it again when I was in high school, but you loved it enough to build a dark room in your basement at your house in um, Tucker. And you would go out on these expeditions. And I think if you're still able, you still are going and doing that. But what about photography became such a central part of your life? What was it about it? Was it the time alone? Was it what God spoke to you through nature? Was it a combination of things? Here's the key. When I look through the lens of a camera, first of all, if if I'm looking at at a mountain or whatever I'm looking at, and then I look through the lens of a camera, which shuts out all of that and zeroes in on this, that's when my heart starts beating. I mean, I think, what an awesome scene. You may look at it and think, well, what's that all about? But when you narrow it down, for example, that's a good example. Let's say that flower right there. If I stood over here and shot that flower, it'd just be a flower. But if I got really, really, really close and I saw each one, all of a sudden I would see what an awesome thing God's done because there's no flower in the world exactly like that one. And it's this picture that and a mountain stream. In other words, all the things, and I would say that photography, it's, it's, it's the second most important thing in my life because I keep seeing God. And, you know, I've been, one thing that's bothered me about this year is I couldn't go anywhere and mm-hmm. do anything. And um, I, I just see God in all that. I'll give you an example. I went to Switzerland. I, one of my primary reasons for going and go into this particular place up in this mountain, was to see a particular mountain peak. And so I'd, I'd been there. I had to ride the train up there a pretty good ways. And then I was there at rain, first day rain, second day rain, third day. <laughs> and I just chose this hotel, its top floor, and, and uh, the, the, uh, I didn't even know where it was because it's cloudy the whole time. I kept praying, God, you know how far I've come. Lord, you know how much I I would love to do this. And God, I'm giving you all the credit. And Father, 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 I wake up the fourth morning. I still remember. And I had opened the the, uh, shutters. I woke up, and what's right there in front of me, and I run over to the window, and here's this huge mountain peak. It's dark. It's white with snow. It's absolutely awesome. I, I just I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's the reason I came. I knocked on the wall for my friend. I said, get up and get dressed. So I've had so many of those moments in my life where I've just seen God answering prayer and 
answering prayer just as much about seeing something that I wanted to see because he knew I was going to give him credit for it. And um, that's the second most important thing I do in life. And one of the things that's frustrating for me for this time when we can't go and can't photograph and I have all this wonderful equipment and what do I do? I walk and I pick it up every once in a while and <laughs> shoot out my window. Anyway, I see that as another avenue in my life of seeing God. Because mm. I can get just as excited about seeing him in a beautiful mountain stream, the mountains of snow, the mountain, just all of that's just God to me. That's beautiful. just want to say again, thank you. And every chance I get, I just want to honor you. And I think the reason why I continue to sense, uh, Dr. Stanley, that people are attracted to the message that you're proclaiming is because it is biblical, but also because you've made it a long way in the journey. And you're a grandfather of the faith. You know, we talk about the fathers of the faith, but you're 88 years old or something close to that and not slowing down anytime soon as far as I can tell. And you've made it a long way down the road through a lot of hardship, had a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of disappointments, a lot of successes, but you're here. And you have the same message, same gospel, same heartbeat. And so thank you for that. And I know everybody that's listening to this interview is saying, yes, thank him for that. And thank him for me. I wish I could sit there and tell him thank you. And so on behalf of millions and millions and millions of people. I just want to honor you and say thank you personally for raising me up in faith. I remember going to Southwestern Seminary. This is I can remember this as clear as today and sitting in the first class and professor, amazing professor stood up, started teaching. And I thought, okay, I got three years of this, but I think I already got one seminary education before I got here because I've been <laughs> listening to you teach the Word of God from cover to cover every week since I was 12 years old up until the time I graduated from college. And so you made such a big deposit in my life, and I want to thank you and honor you for that. And it's been a hard year for everybody. It's been hard for you because you you transitioned from First Baptist this year. I know that's a decision that was hard for you because that's a place you love so much. You weren't able to go and do photography, and you weren't able to get on planes, and you like to go places, and you like to see new people, and you like to see God doing new things. And so you understand where we all are. Uh, we all have different situations. But give us a message just at the end for people coming out of this pandemic. What is, uh, what's your sermon for us, your short sermon for us? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He has seen and permitted all of this to happen. And I think God would use this to drive us to Him, not to something else. And God is faithful. He'll be faithful in every circumstance, every situation. And I think the future is awesome, that whatever's going on, we have God. We know the track to follow. We have the Word of God. He wants us to have listening ears and to be obedient. And if we obey Him, we can afford to leave all the circumstances to Him. And I think we have an awesome possibility of watching God do an unusual work if we're willing to be obedient day by day, step by step. 
Now, let me say this. Let me say that your life is a wonderful testimony. And the ministry that God has called you to, and I can still see you sitting on the first row and the second row down there, you and Andy, and never knew what you were talking about, each other. But you were out there week after week and watching you, how you have grown up and how God has used you in the most awesome way. I think, thank you, Jesus. Mm. Thank you, dear God. I know it worked there, and I know it's worked in other places. But the, the wonderful thing about how God works is he does the choosing. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we, we don't do the choosing. He does the choosing. And thank you for answering the call of God and letting him do through you what he's doing. And you know what? I know there are lots of pastors who have fellows who follow them, but I would say I don't know of any pastor personally. Not, I'm not taking any credit. I'm just saying that you and Andy have had the most far-reaching response and outreach to people all over the world uh, from any one pastor I know of. So I take no credit. I'm just looking and thinking, God, I know you still work miracles. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> well, we have a saying around here. We like to honor people, and we like to give all the glory to God. And Amen. so we, you and I both know that it's a privilege to be called by God. It's a huge undertaking, and I'm humbled by that today and every day. But you have a lot to do with it, and I'm more more to do with it than probably you want to say. Uh, and then also there was Mary Gillerstadt, who, you know, she's still rolling as well. And, you know, she was right in there from the very first day we got to the youth group. And right. she believed in us when, you know, we probably didn't deserve to be believed she, in every she single would defend time. You when, <laughs> she, she, she would defend you when you needed defending. <laughs> yes, she would. And I remember on more than one occasions, I think we had we not been, had Andy not been your son and I not been his best friend, we would have gotten sent home from probably most youth camps and most mission trips that we went on. But something stuck and we're still here and... I want to ask you if you just pray for people as we close. I'm thinking about a single mom out there. I don't know why this morning. Um, and you know that journey of life. And I think you have a special place for single moms in your heart. And somebody who's just trying to manage it today, trying to keep all of the balls rolling in the right yes, direction. And amen. not really sure what all is going to happen. Thinking about young people who are confused and don't know what to believe. There's so many different opinions out there right now, and they just don't know really which way's up, and everybody in between. And I wonder if you'd just pray over all of us today as we close out. I'd be grateful. Thank you. Father, how grateful we are that we can trust you 24 hours a day. Thank you that you don't change. Thank you that you're as powerful today as you were when you created this earth. You're trustworthy. You're awesomely indescribable, ever-present, and willing to help us. And Father, you know we all need help. We all need the awareness of your presence. And so we kneel in this place today, and I want to thank you, first of all, for what you have done and Pastor Louis' heart and life and ministry. Keep it up, Lord. 
and I pray that you'll keep him strong and healthy all the days of his life, that you'll keep on using him to the maximum of his potential. And Lord, from that, as he has mentioned, we think about all these mothers who are going through difficult times, hardly making ends meet, wondering what's going to happen to their children, hearing things that they're being taught in school that they know are not right. I pray for these mothers today, in Jesus' name, for the Spirit of God to hover over them, to work in them and through them, and to give them courage and confidence that no matter what happens, their children will do the right thing because they're covered in prayer. I think about the fathers who are so frustrated at this time of making a living for their family and wondering what's going to happen to their children, watching the unsafe atmosphere in which they're having to raise their children, that you'd give them wisdom, God, and courage to trust you when things look so bleak. And Father, I pray for all the pastors who are going through difficult times, and most all of us, Lord, as some time do. I pray that you will keep us faithful to the Word. Don't let us get drawn away by things and attitudes and actions, dear Lord, that appear to be strong enough to draw people to you. Lord, just remind us that our trust must be in you. We're trusting you for everything that we need. And Father, I pray that the church in America, the church in America would stand strong and be faithful, loyal, devoted through all the things that we are facing and things we will face. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will do a work in your church today in spite of all the things that we hear, we're trusting you that we will stand strong, dear God, with the word, ever delivering the word, faithful, loyal, and devoted as we know how to be. Accomplish your purpose and your will. And Lord, I pray that you will stand out greater than ever before mm-hmm. as the solution and the answer yeah. and the source of what we need. Thank you that you don't change. God, I'm so very grateful. You don't change. What you were 100 years ago, you are today or 2,000 years ago. Just as faithful, just as loyal, just as forgiving, just as empowering, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. And I ask for a special blessing, Lord, upon Pastor Louis. I've known him a special and a new Lord for the work that you've called him to do. And thank you for all that you've already done. Keep him strong, healthy, committed, absolutely obedient to you, and trusting you for everything. Thank you for the way you have supplied every need that he has faced. I trust that you'll continue to do that. And Lord, we'll continue to watch you work and do an amazing work of the Holy Spirit in him, through him, and for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.